Hello and welcome. This is a podcast of ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org, and I'm joined by my colleague, analyst and journalist Maxim Panchenko. Good afternoon, Maxim. Good afternoon. So, uh, in this traditional monthly podcast, we're going to talk about uh, what happened in the previous months in Ukraine. We'll be talking about February 2021, and we'll try to summarize the main developments in Ukraine's domestic and foreign policy for the last few weeks. So, Maxim, what do you think? What were the major events in February? Uh, okay, so we'll definitely need to talk to take stock of the coronavirus uh, stance and the vaccination efforts that are taking place in Ukraine. We'll need to talk about the sad commemoration anniversaries that we had in February. And also we'll need to talk about the new chapters in this saga with domestic sanctions that the Ukrainian leadership has been introducing. And when it comes to foreign policy, some major developments included the Association Council between the EU and Ukraine, the visit of uh, Borrell to Uh, Moscow, even though this was a visit to a foreign country, this pretty much had much to do with Ukraine. Uh, and also the recent uh, visit, virtual visit of the IMF mission to Ukraine, its outcomes and what it means for Ukraine's future. So that's in a nutshell. Yeah, and we'll be also talking about the the protests that have uh, taken place recently in Kiev and in some other uh, Ukrainian cities because of the imprisonment of the verdict to Ukrainian activist, uh, one can say patriotic activist, one can say nationalist activist, Serhii Sternenko. So we'll we'll try to understand why it, uh, it sparked so much reaction in the Ukrainian society. But let's indeed start with the, the hottest issue, the coronavirus. So um, I will probably share some of, of, of my impressions and you will probably add something. So my impression is that Ukraine shows right now, well, traditionally typical figures for, for itself. So we are talking about four or five thousand cases per day. And uh, today Ukraine registered 162 Uh, deaths, uh, death, uh, death cases, uh, and if we compare it to previous months, it's, it's probably the level is probably the same. But uh, against the background of what's happening in other countries, which started massive vaccination and which led to actually decrease of the uh, number of cases, and also it was a reaction of a very strict lockdown in in some of the many European countries. I would say that Ukraine is is quite high in these in these levels right now, and uh, which can be worrying, of course course. And I can judge from my personal experience because while I'm speaking, I'm myself self-isolated with COVID and with uh, all my family. And I can look around in Kiev and Kiev surroundings. I can say that many people whom I know and whom I didn't, I wasn't in personal touch with in, over the past weeks, they also have COVID. So it's quite intuitively, I can say that, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite massive right now in Ukraine. And uh, of course, the issue of vaccination is very, very important. The good news is that Ukraine is getting Pfizer vaccine through COVAX initiative. So we're expecting the first uh, 100,000 doses very soon. And Ukraine has started its vaccination, but probably with the delay, uh, with the much more delay than in, in, in some European, America, Israel, and some other countries, which also sparks a very you know, emotional and nervous debate in Ukraine. So, Maxim, what do you think? What is, what is your impression about what's happening around the pandemics in Ukraine? 
I agree very much with uh, what you've said, and I have an addition about the vaccination. Uh, yes, there is so much pressure these days on Ukrainian authorities because the vaccination had been promised to take place starting from February 15th. It did not happen so. Uh, so the pressure was enormous. Ukraine's healthcare minister traveled to India to procure those uh, vaccines and, and so on and so forth. So, and nowadays, even though the, the vaccination has started, the, the pace it is going with is very, very low. Uh, reportedly, only about 90 to 100 cases, jabs, I mean, are, are, are being given every day to Ukrainian citizens, which is a very low pace. So we'll see where uh, where we will be going uh, with this pace and uh, what, um, well, maybe there will be some procurements that will enable us uh, to uh, give more jabs every day. But for the time being, the the situation is quite frustrating, uh, both when it comes to the availability of uh, of vaccines and when it comes to to the uh, tempo that we're taking this uh, this vaccination efforts. Yeah, and the political climate is very hot because Ukrainian politics has always been quite, you know, quite emotional, quite passionate, and there are so many political forces. And Mr. Zelensky is criticized from all the sides, from the pro-Russian parties, from the pro-Western parties, from everywhere. And you mentioned this AstraZeneca Indian vaccine, which is uh, also, re- uh, also, you know, um, pro- provokes this Indian ex- vaccine, also provokes kind of you know, uh, debate, hot debate in Ukraine, whether it's good enough, whether the Chinese vaccine is good enough. Unfortunately, Ukraine cannot uh, have millions of doses of Pfizer, for example, or some other Western vaccines. And let's remind that uh, Ukraine did not take the Russian Sputnik V vaccine, so because of the political and moral reasons. Now, Maxim, let's talk. You mentioned you mentioned basically our relations with the foreign partners, and uh, you know, Ukraine relies very much on the assistance of the European Union. In particular, this month has has marked a very important event the, in relations with the European Union: the sitting of the Association Council. So, what has happened? Was it good enough? What are the results? So, yes, uh, indeed, this month, Ukraine and the European Union had the Association Council. This is a regular meeting where stock is taken on how the association agreement between Ukraine and the European Union is being implemented. So this was a regular regular thing. And, uh, well, Ukrainian media dubbed it pretty, pretty, uh, well, this was no breakthrough, but it was a, a pretty much success. So uh, there were several things that uh, did not happen. For instance, a signature of the Open Skies treaties with the European Union, the long-awaited and the constantly postponed did not happen. But uh, some uh, major things still were implemented. For instance, the 11th of February, the day when the Council took place, became the official date of the launch of the a review of the association agreement, which means that enough time has passed uh, for the agreement to be reviewed, to be updated if the need be, and there is a need for the quotas to be increased, for maybe for different annexes to be updated, and uh, maybe even you know some other things uh, being added to this agreement. So yes, this was a major turning point because this year, this was not only taking stock of what has as has not been done, but also the parties 
agreed as to the additions that may be uh, implemented in the association agreement, what can be done, what, what can, what new can be introduced to this agreement. Uh, so yes, the specificities are still yet to be to be seen. That, that will be subject to negotiations, but the formal. Uh, launch of the negotiations that Ukraine had striven for for so long uh, ha has finally taken place. So that's uh, the thing that happened in this sense. Yeah, and it's important to add that we are not talking about like a massive review of the agreement. We're not talking about the signature of a new agreement that, that can take decades probably, that can take many years. But uh, rather we're talking about specific updates of the, some technical things, including in the trade issue because Ukrainian businesses were expressing this kind of concern that the figures of, of the quotas or s some other things in the agreement are not really reflecting the actual state of play of Ukrainian experts to the UN, maybe European experts to Ukraine as well. But let me also ask about a different uh, issue which you mentioned. There was Ukrainian media were very emotionally discussing the visit of EU high representative Mr. Borrell to Moscow, which they see, they have seen many Ukrainian media, especially the pro EU pro-Western Ukrainian media, have seen as a humiliation of the EU, uh, of its key diplomat uh, visiting Moscow and getting a slap in the face. What do you think? Yes, indeed, that was a very, a very extensively covered topic in Ukrainian media. And, uh, well, it was Simultaneously, several things. First of all, of course, that, that was uh, a slap in the face of the European Union. European Union was, I would say, quite uh, straightforwardly mocked in Moscow. But also for Ukraine, uh, this meant something different too. Uh, for Ukraine, this was quite a sobering visit because uh, we saw that uh, no public appeals were made by Mr. Borrell uh, when it comes to Crimea. It was not mentioned at all when he came to, to, to negotiate with uh, his counterparts, with uh, Minister Lavrov and others. Uh, also, uh, it can be uh, seen from the, uh, from the visit that the European Union condemned Russia for the breach uh, of its uh, commitments when it comes to human rights. But the, but the basis for these allegations were not the human rights violations in Crimea or in the occupied territories of Ukraine, but rather they were touching upon the situation around Mr. Navalny, which in itself is important, but uh, against that backdrop, not to mention Ukraine and Crimea, well, that was quite uh, sobering for Ukrainians. So the main, uh, the main um, outcome of this for Ukraine is that, uh, first of all, we need to be well aware of the objective picture when it comes to the aims of the, of the European diplomacy towards Russia that uh, Ukraine unfortunately may sometimes not be the centerpiece of these. And of course, this means that we need to double and triple and quadruple our, uh, our efforts when it comes to our uh, interests and defending our interests uh, before Russia in the face of, uh, of the European Union and making allies with the European Union because apparently there is uh, there is much to be striven for against the backdrop of uh, what I said. So that, yes. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to to see how long the EU will be, you know, playing this game that, well, probably it, it is still uh, criticizing Russia for certain things, but still trying to uh, build bridges over certain other things. 
And for Ukrainians, of course, it's 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 rather a sign of sort of naivete because uh, we understand that while EU is trying to approach Russia with in terms of some positive, some game thinking, Russia is approaching EU with a probably zero-sum game or even negative-sum game thinking, engaging in the relations in which it thinks they, both parties will lose, but it, it wants the EU or United States to lose much more than Russia. But let's follow this uh, you know, geopolitical conjuncture, of course, and uh, it's, it's, it's very important for, for Ukraine. Another foreign policy issue, which is also very much linked to Ukrainian domestic politics, is, of course, the IMF. So Ukraine is uh, in new difficult negotiations with the International Monetary Fund, and so far, we didn't have a breakthrough. What how, what happened with IMF, Maxim? Well, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, reportedly, uh, the last mission of the IMF that had been working for, I think, six to seven weeks in Ukraine was the longest one uh, in, in the recent history of Ukrainian IMF negotiations. And unfortunately, its uh, outcomes were uh, quite zero, if not to, to say negative. We were hoping for the uh, for the next installments uh, to be received by Ukraine, because that is uh, something Ukraine uh, may be badly needing in the middle-term perspective. Uh, however, the IMF was not uh, was not content with uh, several things, with several developments, political and reform developments in Ukraine. First of all, this touched upon the independence of the National Bank of Ukraine, the developments around it. Uh, that uh, had uh, had been happening throughout the 2020 year. Uh, so, uh, so they testified to uh, NBU being subject to uh, political influences across the political spectrum, and uh, IMF was pretty much preoccupied about that, and it made it clear for, to, to Ukraine that that was a problem, but uh, unfortunately it turned out not to be sorted out. And uh, another major problem uh, touched upon uh, the reforming process, particularly when it comes to the uh, anti-corruption efforts and, and, the, and the court system of Ukraine that still remains unreformed. Uh, the IMF said that, guys, unfortunately, you have not put enough efforts in, in this. And uh, so this is why we need to, you know, to, to agree to disagree at this point. An interesting, uh, an interesting thing in this uh, sense is, is that even though I think it has been for a week now or, or, or a little bit more uh, that uh, the virtual mission has left Ukraine and the negotiations have stopped, Ukrainian authorities were quite quite calm in accepting that, okay, so we don't have any, any positive outcomes this time. Maybe this is because, well, there are se several factors that may, that may have contributed to this uh, positivity of Ukrainian authorities. Uh, first of all, this is the uh, traditional, I would not say recklessness, but uh, self-reliance of, of Ukrainian authorities or of this administration that we are smart enough to, to find ways, we are creative enough to find ways. This is something that we have been seeing from the very uh, electoral campaign. It does not pay out every time, but maybe there are some remnants of this approach uh, from almost two years back. Secondly, uh, there is... Um, there is a positive, generally positive macrofinancial macrofinancial bubble we're living in, uh, because there is the there is much money around the world being printed, and there is no nowhere to invest it. 
invest at all, at least, which is why Ukrainian authorities feel pretty much sure about tomorrow's day. And experts, uh, they agree that in the short-term perspective, Ukraine may do quite well. However, September will come, and reportedly Ukraine will need to pay off as much as uh, 100 billion hryvnias uh, as, uh, as the foreign debt. And that month may, may become very hard for Ukrainian authorities. And maybe then they will think that, well, we should have negotiated better. So yes, for the time being, it does not seem to be a catastrophe. But strategically, this is something that Ukraine uh, needs to sort out and the quicker the better. So, but th that is about the foreign policy. Now, moving back to domestic developments. Last time we spoke in the previous episode, uh, there was this issue of sanctions that Ukrainian leadership introduced against the three Russian TV channels. Back then, that was something both unexpected and quite unparalleled. And this, uh, this month, we indeed saw the next chapters of this saga, because further sanctions were introduced, including against uh, some Ukrainian nationals, some very well-known, even notoriously Ukrainian nationals. So can you elaborate on that, about how do you evaluate the strategy of the Ukrainian authorities, where it can lead us, and maybe are there any questionable uh, sides to, to this approach, or is it going to pay off? How do you think? Yeah, it's very interesting development indeed. It seems that uh, Zelensky administration uh, became a kind of a hawk vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the I would say pro-Kremlin agents basically acting in Ukraine, meaning Mr. Medvedchuk and his kind of entourage, his ecosystem, it's fashionable to use this word right now. So uh, the Ukraine's uh, Security and Defense Council, after sanctioning three uh, TV channels linked to Mr. Medvedchuk, who are basically spreading pro-Kremlin, anti-Western, anti-Ukrainian propaganda, uh, they decided also to go personal and uh, in, introduce sanctions against eight physical persons and 19 legal persons, including Medvedchuk and his wife, uh, Ms. Oleksandra Marchenko, including Mr. Kozak, who, actually, who is actually owner of these TV channels, and his... Uh, uh, his partner uh, and some other other figures, some other you know legal persons as well, some other companies. It also uh, nationalized a pipeline, which is quite an interesting thing. Which is a pipeline um, which uh, transports diesel uh, to Ukraine, the Russian diesel, the, the Russian uh, diesel gasoline to Ukraine, and which is uh, owned by Mr. Medvedchuk, by Mr. Medvedchuk family, and it was one of the sources uh, for Medvedchuk to make his money. An interesting detail that this pipeline was, you know, owned by Medvedchuk since I think 2017, so meaning during the presidency of uh, Mr. Poroshenko. So uh, it's an interesting thing that Poroshenko was, you know, remember his campaign in 2019 when he opposed his portrait and Putin portrait and saying that, look, it's it's me against Putin. It's not me against Zelensky, but me against Putin. And this approach was harshly criticized, of course, across Ukraine. Of course, at that time, Poroshenko was seemingly much more pro-Western, much more patriotic than Zelensky, who was rather all playing with the pro-Russian voters as well. But gradually, Mr. Zelensky becomes more and more anti-Russian, anti-Kremlin, and in these moves, much more 
decisive than Poroshenko because while Poroshenko was giving, uh, it seems that he was giving quite a warm bath for Mr. Medvedchuk to launch his business linked to Kremlin, to launch his TV channels. Zelensky is trying to fight against them. Medvedchuk is not the uh, the only the only personality, and and around this, you know, sanctions drive. The major thing, besides the sanctions, is that, and it it becomes now clear with these uh, TV channels, is not that. There was spreading this anti-Ukrainian, anti-Western propaganda, which we at Ukraine World, by the way, very, uh, very closely follow. But the key argument is financial. So the key argument was follow the money. So the argument of the National Security and Defense Council is that uh, these guys, the, the 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 companies of these guys, of Mr. Kozak, Mr. Medvedchuk, are linked to uh, basically to companies who were supplying, uh, who are doing the energy supplies to the non controlled territories to the occupied territories and the argument is is that it is uh, the foundation of the sanctions is the financing of terrorism because remember that these organizations the so-called republics are coined as terrorist organizations in Ukraine so it's about i would say rather financing uh, financial issues and security issues than clearly information issues but there are some other personalities ukraine is now hunting for is mr shari anatoly shari who is a very popular blogger who is now based in the eu by the way and um, he is also helping very much all those pro kremlin uh, actors we also studied this extensively at ukraine world you can watch our articles at ukraineworld.org there is a section info watch uh, in which we analyzed a lot about Medvedchuk, about Shari, etc. Shari has his own party, Shari party, which is quite an active young party in Ukraine. Again, he's not present, he's not resident of Ukraine, he's not present here in Ukraine. He's also very active in information wars in Russia itself. So he's a guy who is, of course, against Navalny, who is saying that Navalny poisoning is a fake, who is supporting the the, the, the Putin, the Kremlin uh, information efforts and, and all this stuff. So Ukraine is now, the Ukrainian court seems to, you know, even issue the order of uh, possible arrest or extradition in this case of Mr. Shari. Shari reacted uh, mockingly in his style that, well, try to capture me first. But it, it will be also very interesting how Ukraine will will communicate with the EU where Shari is based, basically. Uh, Shari is based in the EU and spreading anti-EU, anti-Western propaganda. Well, it's, it's a typical case in today's democracy. So... Yeah, and media are talking probably that the next person can be Mr. Firtash, who is also is also co-owner of a TV channel Inter, one of the most popular Ukrainian TV channels, also very much linked to some kind of you know Russian uh, information interests. And of course, uh, Mr. Mr. Firtash is a well-known uh, oligarch uh, dealing with gas issues. But remember that, for example, Firtash is very interested by uh, Americans, by the Un- United States uh, justice, and he's he's based in Vienna, but he can be extradited to the U.S. And Mr. Medvedchuk is also under American sanctions, so. I would also link this, you know, this attack on these pro-Russian actors with the fact that 
uh, there is a change in the administration in the United States because both Medvedchuk and his guys, for example, Mr. Mr. Derkach, both uh, Shari, uh, all those people were quite active, you know, in in spreading this this you know idea that Biden was uh, doing some kind of corruption or Biden's sons was doing some kind of corruption actions in Ukraine. So it was a sort of a meddling in the election and I think that Biden administration also understands who are the who are these people are and they are really enemies of, of democracy and of Ukraine's pro-Western cause. Yes, of course. And this, by the way, uh, reminds me of uh, of the sanctions that had previously been imposed by the U.S. against uh, some Ukrainian nationals, like including the MP uh, Dubinsky and so on and so forth. So yes, that may be the continuation of that approach. And uh, by the way, interestingly enough, uh, when we're speaking about persecutions uh, domestically, uh, there is another uh, quite big story these days for the last, I think, uh, week to two weeks. This is the case of uh, activist Stavnenko, which of course is a very different pair of shoes, but as long as we're speaking about persecutions. So can you uh, please elaborate a bit on the bare bones of the case and why is it so important for Ukrainian uh, for Ukrainian society? Because as far as I can see it, it's not only about the, uh, not only merely about the, the, um, the case itself, but also about the spillover effects it may have when it comes to the judiciary system as a whole and reforms in Ukraine and so on and so forth. What can you say about it? Yeah, exactly, because uh, Ukraine currently under Zelensky is a very strange animal, I would say in many aspects, schizophrenic animal, because uh, on the one hand, we see many revanchist trends, you know, and we were talking about them in the past year. So we can kind of wrap up of the judiciary reform, wrap up of, of the anti-corruption reform. So and there are huge uh, steps back which are taken. And on the other hand, this very quite an, an aggressive, very decisive move against these pro-Kremlin actors like Medvedchuk, Shari, etc. My explanation is that we cannot really say of the single point of decision making in the Zelensky administration. There are different groups which are which are fighting between each other. There are groups that are obviously much more, you know, I would say even if not pro-Russian, at least anti-Western. So they they're really skeptical about this this pro-Western reforms. They want kind of a revanchism, they want to keep uh, the, the influence that they have and that they had before the revolution of dignity of 2013-2014. I think many, many actors are in the field of, you know, police, judiciary system, prosecution system. These actors are like that. On the other hand, we can, we can talk about actors which are really wanting to drag Ukraine further, closer to the to the West, to Europe, etc. And uh, they're probably in some other agencies. And there is this competition between them. So uh, at one point in February, we see this attack against uh, people like Medvedchuk. At another point, we see the court verdict against Ternenko which provokes a harsh reaction from the patriotic, I would say patriotic community, because there were huge protests before the presidential office uh, in Kiev. There, are th- there were thousands of people. And it seems that Stavnenko is a really kind of a 
is becoming kind of a symbol of this uh, of this very important uh, part of the Ukrainian society. Now, who is Mr. Sternenko? Uh, he's uh, an activist from Odessa for, you know, he was active in the first years after the revolution in dignity uh, as a leader of Odessa Pravy sector, Pravy sector, so the right sector, the patriotic or one can say right wing organization or far right organization but it's it's important to you know to understand what is what is probably sector in odessa it doesn't mean that there is a, a neo nazi or something neo fascist organization something like that things are much more complex because odessa is a very russian speaking uh in a, in in many aspects pro russian city maybe one of the most pro russian cities in Ukraine, we, we we remember this tragedy of of second of May, uh, when many people have died in Odessa, which was Odessa was on the brink of a real you know civil conflict, of course, ignited from Russia, but 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 really having roots inside as well. And uh, to be a pro-Ukrainian activist in Odessa means uh, so often means to be quite radical, quite. Uh, quite uh, open in these, you know, emotions, actions, etc. Now, Mr. Sternenko was attacked a few times uh, on the streets. And during one of these attacks, he, by defending himself, he killed a person. So, uh, one could say that, and, and therefore, all these pro-Russian TV channels, they were uh, labeling him as a killer. So, Sternenko killer. This is kind of a association they tried to make. But interesting thing that on this case of killing a person uh, through a self-defense, probably, uh, this case did not lead to his imprisonment. What led to his imprisonment is another case, which was kind of a case of uh, some kidnapping of some pro-Russian local member of, uh, I think, local of, uh, member of local council, uh, which raises huge number of questions, judiciary and from the, you know, procedural point of view. Now, Stenenko got seven years of prison, and of course, many, many in Ukraine in this, uh, I would say, pro-Ukrainian patriotic community consider as another attack of law enforcement services against, against these people which can be labeled as people coming from the patriotic uh, side, maybe nationalist side. Remember that there are uh, people uh, accused of killing Belarusian-Ukrainian journalist Pavel Sheremet. There are three people who are imprisoned with really loose, uh, with very loose, you know, for, uh, basis of judgment. So it seems that really probably they can be innocent people who are uh, sentenced to many years in prison for this. So this creates this background, and I think, uh, you know, this uh, instigates the thinking in this pro-Ukrainian patriotic community that judging this uh, sentencing Sternenko is kind of an attack of the law enforcement services against this genuinely patriotic people because Ukrainian police is also playing with this uh, nationalist element because it, it is supporting, for example, Mr. Avakov has some links with the far-right party National Corps. Another interpretation of these events is that there is a fight between different law enforcement services in Ukraine. On the one hand, there is police and Mr. Avakov, who is an uh, interior minister, very powerful, 
And uh, on the other hand, there is SBU, the the security service, Ukraine security service. And there is a long talk uh, in the media and in uh, outside the media that there is a competition, there is a fight between these two structures. And maybe SBU is showing that it is defending Ukrainian sovereignty. And uh, while Ukrainian police or Avakov is showing that, look, I'm fighting against these Ukrainian far rights. So things can be even deeper than that. Yeah, Maxim, go ahead. Our today's, our today's discussion would, would not be complete uh, without mentioning one uh, one more thing in our this February episode. Uh, this would be dedicated to the anniversaries we commemorate, uh, that of the annexation of uh, Crimea, of the developments around Crimea. And of course, uh, when it comes to the heavenly hundred, to the 18th and 20th uh, February of 2014, so uh, yes, Ukraine commemorates each year this uh, this date, and uh, it also receives uh, the attention of the entire world because the entire world is showing Ukraine that uh, they too first remember uh, what happened, and second, do not recognize uh, that uh, the annexation took place, and then they commemorate the having the hundred too. So Ukraine on this day this year received uh, the. Uh, letters and the statements from foreign leaders, including from the uh, high representative of the European Union for Foreign Affairs, Mr. Borrell, where he also uh, stated once again that the EU did not recognize the annexation. And also uh, we had a statement made by uh, the American administration, uh, by President Biden, that uh, Crimea will never be uh, recognized as part of Russia. So uh, on this seventh uh, anniversary, we can say that uh, the world is still with us, but at the same time, we also need to stress that the, the battle is being carried on and needs to be carried on because uh, as the status quo shows, there is still much to be done to, to, to make Crimea Ukraine again. So when it comes to how the anniversaries were commemorated domestically, or the matter, what can you what can you add to this? How how did these days were uh, were commemorated in Ukraine? Well, I would say the, of course, the the trauma, the the wound of of these events, which took place in February 2014, they are of course with us, but of of course with history, with time, it, it less number of people get together um, on on Maidan during these days. And there is a big controversy of whether Ukraine should build the memorial on the Institutska Street on the Heavenly Hundred LA or not, because there is a, a debate even among the families, among the families of the of the of those people who died there, whether we should commemorate the memory or we should keep this place for further investigations because lawyers are saying or experts in, in criminalistics are saying that not everything has held. We still need this place to be untouched because we need to have, you know, some experiments, ballistic experiments, etc. Because I would, I would remind that we are not really having any progress in 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 making justice to what happened uh, during these days during this tragedy. We we don't have. Uh, we don't have finalized cases. We we don't have the names of the people um, and really the sentences to the people who are considered to be guilty. And even 
remember that w- during one of the exchanges which took place uh, between the prisoners, uh, between occupied territories and Ukraine, those people who were sentenced, who were accused of, of these events were, I think there were five of them, they were taken there. They, they were they were they were part of the exchange, which was very strange. Why why would people who are uh, accused of killings on Maidan considered as part of the exchange of prisoners between occupied territories and and Ukraine? So this this is the context of what's going on, uh, and uh, again. Uh, there was an, an attempt of these, you know, Medvedchuk uh, TV channels to show increasingly this narrative that uh, the Maidan was coup d'état, sponsored by the West. I would say that it, it didn't work. So people people still have, of course, the the, the great uh, the great emotional emotional tie to to what happened there. But of course, uh, it would be it would be also unjust to say that uh, the uh, the uh, attitude of Ukrainians to Euromaidan is the same across Ukraine. So if you go to the south and to the east, uh, there will be many people who would who would be very skeptical about these events, who would not consider them as, a, who would not have a post- positive attitude to them. But still, of course, for, for the whole of Ukraine, it's a very important event and very tragic event as well. I think we will finish on this. Uh, and this was our snapshot on of uh, February 2021. We tried to analyze the key domestic and foreign events linked to Ukraine in this month. And uh, I was glad to talk to, to my colleague, Maxim Panchenko. Uh, thank you, Maxim, for uh, for this conversation. This was Explaining Ukraine podcast by ukraineworld.org. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and follow our, our podcasts on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts and Apple uh, Podcasts and stay with us. Mm-hmm.